Charles Spurgeon was a preacher in London, and some people called him the Prince of Preachers. He um, ministered at a church called the Metropolitan Tabernacle. It had a lower pulpit where he would lead prayer and singing, and then it was an upper pulpit. It was a 15-step spiral staircase that he would go up before he delivered the Word of God. And on every step, he would say to himself the same thing as he ascended the stairway. He would say, I believe in the Holy Spirit on each step. And so I want to say to you today, as I preach to you, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe that the Holy Spirit is here today. I believe that he has a purpose for each of us being here. I believe he desires to exalt Christ in our midst. The Holy Spirit's here today. Well, I'm excited to, um, to speak to you today because it gives me a chance to get a song out of my head. Um, we're going to be talking about Jonah chapter 2 today, and uh, I'm not actually going to sing the song because if I sing the song, then you'll have the song in your head and you'll be in the same place I was in all week long. Um, <laughs> if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, we're, we're going to be in Jonah chapter 2 eventually. Uh, so you can kind of turn there if you'd like. I uh, racked my brain this week trying to come up with a really clever connection between this passage and our theme of overboard. I didn't really do that great of a job of coming up with a connection. Um, so we'll just go with what we have. Uh, so what we're going to talk about today is that God goes overboard in kindness that leads us to repentance. We're going to see that in Jonah chapter 2. We'll see that in a couple other places as we spend some time together in the Word. But it comes from Romans chapter 2 verse 4. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says, It is God's kindness that leads us towards repentance. That's going to be evident in our passage today. Even though Jonah had turned his back on God's message and went the other way to flee the Lord's presence, that didn't stop God from being kind towards him, pursuing him with kindness that eventually leads towards repentance. I'm sure you remember from chapter 1 that Jonah did not make a very good showing of himself as a prophet. Right, the word of God came to the prophet, and what he was supposed to do is take the word and then go deliver it to the people. But instead of doing that in this particular situation, he decided to do it his own way, which was go the opposite direction and flee. He was told he was supposed to go to Nineveh, which was sort of to the northeast, and although we don't know exactly where Tarshish was, we do know he had to go across the Mediterranean Sea, which means he either went west or he went northwest. So the picture is the fact that he went the opposite direction of what God was telling him to do. He disobeyed. Verse 3 in chapter 1 
told us that he did this because he was trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. Now, he ought to know better, right? There's many things that could be said about why it was that Jonah did what he did. We can definitely say that he didn't have as full of a picture as we do today. If we look at the New Testament, we know that the apostle Peter was a little bit confused when he learned that the gospel was not just for the Jews, but it was also for Gentiles. Rewind back into the New Testament with Jonah, and it's a similar thing. God is saying, go preach repentance to these people who are your enemies and not in your country and not Jews. And Jonah's like, that doesn't even make sense. And it's gone. Jonah clearly heard what God had spoken to him, and he willingly chose to disobey. He chose instead to go in the opposite direction. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, if we're really honest with ourselves, I think we would recognize the fact that sometimes that's true for us as well. We walk in disobedience. I don't want you to think about disobedience only in the sense of we see what we see with Jonah, which is not doing what God told them to do or tells you to do. But I also want you to think of disobedience as doing something that you know God says you're not supposed to do. That's disobedience as well. So in general, we're talking about disobedience in Jonah. There's been a few times in my life where I willingly disobeyed God's direction for me. You know, and in the moment, I might have thought I was probably okay for a little while, but I was fooling myself. At each one of those points, I can look back and see that God was tenderly urging me towards repentance. Now, it didn't really feel that way at the time. If you've been in disobedience and the Holy Spirit has been pestering you towards doing something or changing something in your life, you know that sometimes that's not real comfortable. Exactly that same thing happened in David's life, and he describes it for us in Psalm chapter 32. He says this, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through all my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength dried up as the heat of summer. So David is expressing this idea of what it feels like to have the conviction of the Holy Spirit on you because of a particular disobedience in your life. And when that happens, you have two choices, right? You can respond in humility and you can say, you're right, God, I'm wrong and I'm going to change and I'm going to repent. And the second option is to say, I ain't doing that, okay? David's response was the first option. Here's what it says in verse 5. David says, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David chose option number one. Do you want to guess which option Jonah chose? Option two, I'm out of here. I'm not going to humble myself. 
I'm going to go jump in the ocean. It can be uncomfortable for us to be around the presence of the Lord when we're walking in disobedience. And Jonah tries to flee from the presence of the Lord. Now, he should have known better. He was a prophet. He should have understood this. You can't flee from God's presence. Psalm 139, verse 7 says this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Okay? Jonah found out God was in the depths with him. We'll see that in just a moment. No matter how far he ran, no matter how deep he sunk into the water, he could not flee from God's presence. And the exact same is true for us today. No matter how far you might run from God, no matter how deep you might sink into sin and darkness, you are never far enough away that God's presence, his tender, loving, compassionate, and kind presence is there too. That's our God. There's no fleeing his presence and he is always ready to respond when we finally come to our senses. When we humble ourselves, acknowledge our sin, and be willing to turn. Now Jonah also chose to avoid the word of God. Right, the word of God came to him. Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah becomes silent. There's no conversation back to God. He just flees. Did you know that it's okay to ask God questions? It is. You see that all throughout Scripture. Right? Abraham and Sarah come to God and they say, how in the world can we have a child at our age? And God says to them, is there anything too hard for the Lord? And Mary says, how can this be? Because I'm a virgin. David, all throughout the Psalms, questions God. Gideon, he's kind of the famous one, right? He needed multiple confirmations from God that this is indeed what you're telling me to do, right? It's okay to ask God questions. He can handle them. But that's not what Jonah does here. Jonah doesn't say like, hey, wait, help me understand. Why am I supposed to go to Nineveh to those people who are our enemies? I don't really understand that. If he had asked the question, God might have said to him what he later says in chapter 4, listen, Jonah, there's 120,000 people there who need to repent. But Jonah didn't ask the question. He fled. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to convict us of our disobedience. And so sometimes when we're in disobedience, we put the Bible away. Right? We, we change the radio station. We don't hang out with the people who talk about the Bible all the time, and especially those people who ask the hard questions. We try to avoid the word of God when we're in disobedience. 
I want to encourage you today, if there's any area of disobedience in your life, I just have one thing I want to ask you. This is a super simple thing. It's not hard to do. I just want to ask you this thing. Today, if there's some sort of an area of disobedience in your life, would you please not flee? Would you please not run away from God? Would you open your mind, open your eyes, open your heart to the fact that God loves to be gracious and kind to those who return? There's no judgment waiting for you when you return to God. Do you know why? Because that judgment was put on someone else. There's no shame for you when you return to God. Do you know why? We have a Savior who bore our shame. And so today, I would ask you, don't flee. God loves us. And he will continue to pursue us no matter how far we go. And he's always ready to receive us back and forgive us and restore us. We're going to look to Jonah chapter 2 in this story. But before we do that, would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. And thank you for your spirit. I pray your spirit would have his way in our hearts today. I pray that as we continue to look at your word just now, that you would open our eyes to see Jesus, to see your tender, compassionate call to us towards repentance and forgiveness. I pray that your word accomplishes the purpose for which you gave it today. And I pray that it would come with power. In your name we pray, amen. So Jonah chapter 2. As we pick up in chapter 2, Jonah is inside the belly of a great fish, and he has been there for three days and three nights. Now, we're not told much about what that was like, I'm going to leave that entirely to your imagination. Whatever you think it might be like to be inside the belly of a fish for three days and three nights, that's where Jonah is. Now, it's interesting the way Scripture presents this to us. Uh, at the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2, it appears to us that Jonah does not pray until three days and three nights has passed. It's kind of like what Sean said last week. It's almost like God put Jonah in a timeout. Give him a little time to think about things. And in the process of that, Jonah prays. Jonah chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord and his God from the belly of a fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me, and all your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. 
yet you brought my life up from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. There's some debate about the book of Jonah and whether this prayer in chapter 2 is a prayer of genuine repentance or not. Now, it makes sense because we know the rest of the story, and we know that Jonah doesn't get everything perfect from this point on. We'll talk about that in the coming weeks. But how many of us have been perfect ever since we first repented? I can tell you this, that the sailors that were in chapter 1 who during the storm repented, turned away from their gods and turned to the true God, I'm just guessing they didn't live perfectly for the rest of their lives. I'm guessing there were probably times where they made other mistakes and they had to again repent. I believe the same is true of Jonah. We see in this particular piece of scripture evidences of repentance. That doesn't necessarily mean there's not more mistakes he will make in the future and more teaching that God will have to do to correct him. So what we're going to do together today is to look at five evidences of repentance that we see in this prayer. We will kind of move through some of them quickly. We're just making some observations, and then I have some more. I'll leave, I'll leave that for you. So um, Jonah, his first, first evidence of repentance that we see here is that Jonah is, is humbled. Jonah is humbled by the hand of God. Now, maybe you've heard this said. I'm not exactly sure where this comes from, but I've heard it multiple times. People have said, be humble or be humbled. Right? The idea is you can intentionally humble yourself as God leads you towards that, or you can resist it and God may eventually humble you. Right? That's what happened to Jonah. Jonah refused to humble himself in the process of his fleeing, and God humbled him in a couple different ways, mainly by the fact that he got tossed in the ocean and swallowed by a fish. Rather humbling. But if you look at verse 3 and 4, you can sort of see that Jonah acknowledges that the humbling came at God's hand, not at his own. So it says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your breakers passed over me. So Jonah is recognizing the fact that it was God who had to humble him because Jonah refused to humble himself. Even though the humbling had to be forced on him, Jonah received it. Jonah humbled himself. He acknowledged God and he prayed. If you remember back to chapter 1, he's in the middle of the storm. He's sleeping in the bottom of the boat. A heathen ship captain comes to him and says, pray. And Jonah's like, doesn't pray. <laughs> Seems strange. But here... As God humbles him, 
In the midst of this sinking ocean, he prays. Today, um, I want you to think of where you are in your journey with God. And I want to encourage you to be humble rather than be humbled. If you're currently on a path that leads away from God, or maybe even just straying a little bit, I want to encourage you to stop and to turn, to turn back to God, to turn around. Swallow your pride, admit you've been wrong, turn around. Don't wait for God to humble you. Okay, let's look at a, a second evidence of repentance that we see in this prayer. And the second one is this. Jonah longed for the presence of God. Jonah longed for the presence of God. Now, previously we know in chapter 1 he fled from the presence of God. So take a look at the second half of chapter, or excuse me, verse 4. He says, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Right? The temple is where God's presence was. Jonah is in his prayer saying, turning his thoughts back to the fact that God is in his temple, turning his thoughts back to God's presence. Previously, he had fleed from God's presence, even though you can't do that. Now he's turning his thoughts back to God's presence. That's an evidence of repentance. When we repent and we turn from sin and disobedience and we turn back to God, it's common for us to want to be in God's presence. We want to be around the one who loves us. We want to be around the one who forgives us and is compassionate towards us. You know that. There's people in your lives who are that way. You just know that they are loving, compassionate people, and for that reason, you want to be around them. And as we repent and understand once again God's love and forgiveness for us, we want to be near him. We want to be in his presence. And that's an evidence of repentance, longing for the presence of God. Isaiah 55 Verse 6 says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God and he will abundantly pardon. I don't know where we get this idea that God is not compassionate and loving and forgiving and when we come back to him with a humble heart and we repent, God receives us. God says to us, a humble and contrite spirit, he does not despise. He welcomes that in us. Well, let's keep moving. Evidence number three. It's this. Jonah was hungry for the word of God. Jonah was hungry for the word of God. So the third evidence of repentance is that he turns his thoughts back to the word of God. Now, previously, the word of God came to him and said, go to Nineveh. And Jonah's like, I'm out of here. I don't want to think about that. Now, in the belly of the fish, as his heart is changing and as he is repenting, he turns his thoughts to the word of God. If you were to take Jonah chapter 2 and compare it to the book of Psalms, you will find that what Jonah is doing is actually reciting Psalms that he had previously memorized. 
For instance, Jonah chapter 2, verse 2 is almost a direct quote of Psalm 18, verse 6. It says this, In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry came to him and reached his ears. Jonah chapter 2, verse 9 is very similar to Psalm chapter 3, verse 8, where it says, Salvation belongs to the Lord, your blessing be on your people. The idea here is that Jonah, in the depth of the sea, in the belly of the fish, turns his thoughts back to God's word. And that's an evidence of a change of his heart. Jake mentioned this before, repentance. Repentance is a turn. Repentance is a change of heart and a change of mind that results in a change of action. We are pursuing sin and disobedience and whatever it else we decide in our own flesh. Repentance is a turn from those things and a pursuing of God and his ways and his word and his presence. That is repentance. It's a change of heart and a change of mind that is seen by a change of action. What we are witnessing inside the belly of the fish is a change of Jonah's heart and a change of Jonah's mind. What we'll get a chance to see after he gets vomited is a change of his action. Uh, for us... Repentance can lead to a hunger for God's word. As we step out of the darkness and into the light, we realize that God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We realize that it is his word that helps us to continue to go in the right direction. And as we stay in his word, as we hunger for his word, he keeps us in the path. We see that all throughout scripture. Isaiah chapter 30 speaks about how God longs to be gracious to rebellious sinners. And he says this, And your ears shall hear a word behind you, saying, This is the way. Walk in it when you turn to the right or you turn to the left. Now, I have to apologize to all the Star Wars fans who thought that the Mandalorian greeting was unique. And for all of you who have no idea what that means, that's okay. It's a Star Wars thing. This is the way. Walk in it. God speaks that to us through his word. I want to move on to the fourth evidence of repentance, and it's this. Jonah recommitted himself to the mission of God. We're going to skip down a few verses. I promise we'll come back and look at the others in just a moment. But look at verse 9. Jonah says, But with a voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. The vow that Jonah is speaking about is his vow as a prophet of God. To speak God's word. When God's word came to Jonah, his vow was, I will speak that word to the people. And obviously, it's that vow that he broke when he chose in disobedience to flee from the Lord. So in this moment, Jonah is recommitting himself to the mission of God in his life, to be a prophet and to share God's word. 
when our eyes are opened to our own disobedience and pride, sometimes it can lead us to a deep sorrow and regret for not having walked with Jesus the way we wanted to. Maybe we haven't talked to him as much as we used to. Maybe we haven't read his word as much as we once did. Maybe we don't think about him as often or praise him as often. And sometimes we get to that place where our eyes are opened. In that moment, I think it's right for us to recommit ourselves to following God. In the same way Jonah recommits himself to the idea of following God's word as his prophet. Let's keep going. Evidence number five. It's in the second half of verse nine. Jonah just simply says this. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So Jonah became concerned once again about the salvation of God. Where previously Jonah was only concerned about his own comfort or whatever it was he wanted as he was fleeing from God's presence. Now his thoughts turned back to the idea of God's salvation for people. It's an evidence of repentance. right? When we're walking in a right relationship with God, it's right for us to be concerned about people around us who are not saved. If we have a hope for the world and we're not sharing it, there's something wrong with us. Bruce said this a couple weeks ago. I'll say it a little bit differently. But if you're a believer, if you claim that you love God and you're not obeying his command to share your life and your hope with other people, something doesn't make sense there. Either you don't love God or you're a hypocrite. That's what it comes down to. So the challenge that we have in front of us is as we turn back to God, as we align ourselves with his plan, as we align ourselves with his mission, are we willing to do what he's called us to do? Now, eventually we're going to see that after Jonah's heart was brought back to God, he obeys in the command that he was called to. The question for us is the same, though. We've come out of a series where we've been talking about how do you be Jesus next door? It's not some hard thing to do. Like, we try to make this out like it's such a difficult thing, like I have to go preach a 35-minute sermon to my neighbor, right, and have all of the points down or whatever. It's not that at all, right? It's a call for you to go to the world, right? Go be friends with your neighbors. Go be friends with your coworkers. Be interested in their life. Ask them questions. Know who they are. Listen for hurt. Listen for pain. And when you have an opportunity, share your life, right? Now, your life is actually Christ's life, but share your life. Share your hope. That's what it is to follow the call of God. That's the mission of God. That's what he's asked us to do, is to take the gospel into our lives such a way that we live it out with people we know. So let's talk a little, bit about, a little bit about salvation. Jonah turns his thoughts to this idea, and he's suddenly concerned about God's salvation. Jonah had less of an understanding of God's salvation than we do today. All right, I mentioned before that he didn't really understand that salvation was for the Gentiles, but there's multiple other things that he didn't understand. Right? He didn't have the benefit of being this side of the cross and understanding that salvation comes by faith through grace. 
He didn't understand that there is a sacrifice that was made on our behalf to meet God's standards, his perfect standards. Now, you might know that Jesus referred to Jonah in the New Testament. There's only two times that Jesus referred to a prophet by name in the New Testament, and one of them happens to be Jonah. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says this, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus is making a comparison between the story of Jonah and his own death, burial, and resurrection. Okay? Because Jesus is making a comparison between himself and Jonah, I think it's okay for me to do the same thing. I hope you'll allow me to do that. So what I'd like to do is begin to think, well, actually, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the verses I skipped. Uh, verses 5 and 6. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought my life up from the pit. Now, this is a description of Jonah nearly drowning. But it is also a description of the state of any person who is bound up in sin and dragged down to the depths in the darkness. I, I can't hardly read these two verses without thinking of two things in my life. One, nearly drowning myself. And two, being in a place where sin dragged me down to the depths. For me, both of those experiences were overwhelming. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you thought you were going to die. I have. And your mind goes in interesting places in that point in time. No matter what I did in either of these two circumstances, I couldn't help myself. There was nothing I could do to save myself. And it wasn't until I got to the place that I recognized that and I desperately called out to God that I was saved. One of my saviors was a lifeguard on the beach at Boca Raton. And one of my saviors was Jesus Christ, my Lord. They both jumped into the raging sea with no regard for their own safety in order to save me. But you know what? Only one of them came out. The reason why Jesus is able to take our sin and our disobedience and our darkness and our shame and our iniquity and all of those things, the only reason why we can go free is because he took our place. Did you know that our sin was wrapped around him and he went down to the roots of the mountain? Did you know that the waters of God's wrath closed over him to take his life 
Did you know that the bars closed upon him, but not forever? You see, this, I believe this is a picture of Christ taking our sin for us, experiencing God's wrath on our behalf. But you know what? That's not where the story ends, right? He sunk down to the bottom, but new life entered him. Resurrection life that's ours today. And here's the most exciting thing about all of it to me. When Christ was raised from the grave, do you know what did not get raised with him? My sin and your sin. Our disobedience, our iniquities, whatever you want to call it. When Christ went down into the grave, he took our sins with him. And when he came up out of the grave, he didn't bring them with him. Our sins are forever. Our sins are forever buried. Which means God doesn't bring them up again. God doesn't say, hey, remember that time you? Your sins are removed from you as far as the east is from the west. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast our sins into the depth of the sea. Jesus dealt with our sin once and for all. And when we were raised to resurrection life, we are free from sin. Well, we've left ourselves just one verse and we'll be finished. Verse 10. <laughs> and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry ground. Now, I want to give the fish a shout out here, right? The fish was obedient two times, got directions two times, was obedient two times. Good job, fish. Not so much for Jonah. So God commands the fish. The fish vomits Jonah. I love that it says vomit, not spit. I don't know why. Just do. Uh, <laughs> with the change of Jonah's heart having been affected, inside of the timeout fish, Jonah's heart changed. We saw evidences of it today. With his heart changed, God commands the fish. The fish vomits Jonah onto dry ground so that he can now go and through his action, show his change of heart. We don't know exactly where this happened. Scripture doesn't tell us where the vomiting happened. Uh, maybe while Jonah's heart was changing, maybe the fish was changing direction and swam back to where it started. We just simply don't know. What we do know is that Jonah had a walk of obedience that followed this. Because wherever he happened to get spit out on dry ground, he was at least 300 miles from Nineveh. And so he had a walk of obedience towards the place that God had called him to do. So here's where I want to end today. I have just a couple words of encouragement to a couple different groups of us. And the first is this. If you have not experienced salvation yourself, 
I would just ask, what else do you need? And I say that carefully because we as a church want to engage with you in a conversation about that. What is it that God might be saying to you? What are the questions you have? How can we come alongside you to talk about what that looks like? So if you're in that place, I would encourage you to talk with someone. Talk with one of our pastors. Talk with one of the guys you see up here. Talk with someone who's in your row in your neighborhood. Get your answered questions. Your questions answered. The second would be this. If you're a believer and you're ensnared in some way to something that is keeping you from experience, fullness, and joy in your walk with Christ, I also want to encourage you to reach out to someone. You can't do it by yourself. How do I know? Because I tried. You can't free yourself from sin by yourself. You need help. And there are people here who would love to come alongside you and help you through that process. I can tell you that those who lead in these types of ministries understand what grace is and will walk with you that tender, compassionate path of repentance towards back, back towards God. And the third group is this. If you're a believer, but maybe you have not been obedient to the call of God, to share your hope and your life with people around you. I want to encourage you to repent. Maybe you just simply start with one of the things we've talked about today. Maybe you start by humbling yourself before God. Maybe you begin to ask God to help you long for his presence again. Maybe you ask him to help you hunger for the word or recommit your life to his mission. Maybe you just simply ask him to help you become concerned about salvation once again. Would you pray with me as we close and then Jake has some announcements. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your spirit. I pray, God, that he would take what we've talked about today and apply it to our hearts. That's your work. I pray that we would continue to keep our eyes open, that we would listen for you, that we would not flee. Thank you above all for your gracious way that you deal with us. Thank you that Christ died in our place, that there is no guilt, there is no shame, there is no sin remaining for us because you left it in the grave when you raised to new life. I pray we go out with a a feeling of hope today, knowing that we have a loving God who urges us towards repentance. It's in your name we pray. Amen.